everyone. Welcome to NGI's Hub and Flow podcast. I'm Chris Lenton. It's July 7th. Today, our guest is Gonzalo Monroy, one of the most recognizable faces and voices in Mexico energy. And really, I'm, I'm very excited about talking to you, Gonzalo, because I don't think anyone has his finger on the pulse of the Mexican energy sector quite like you do. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Chris. Has been it's an honor. Great. Well, okay. Let's 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 jump right into the ring of fire that everyone's talking about in the Gulf of Mexico. The images of it went viral. Everyone from from Greta Thunberg to Bernie Sanders was commenting on the issue last week. What's what's the latest there? Well, actually, uh, Pemex and and the Mexican president Andres Manuel López Obrador gave the official explanation that it was a lightning strike, uh, effectively, and a gathering in line, and that provoked the whole uh, incident and the whole debacle. Mm. The reality, as always, is a little bit more complex. Yes, it was a leak, most likely a leak of a gathering line in the Kumalovsap complex. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, fortunately, it was a wet gas gathering line. So most likely what we saw in this bubbly effect was a result of the heptane and pentane actually got, got in fire. Uh-huh. Why the ignition? Most likely is that this gathering line, as you know, is operated remotely, so it has already electricity around it. So it caught a spark, and therefore what we saw these apocalyptic uh, images Fortunately, and we have to, to put it uh, everything into context, is that it was quite a good thing that actually happened what happened. In terms of that it, if Pemex actually did, went or actually went other way and or uh, didn't try to to strangulate, or in this case, close the valves early, actually the buildup of pressure could actually lead to... Um, I would say a greater uh, consequence in terms of explosion of the nearby uh, platform. Fortunately, this was not the case. Lives were not lost. Human lives were not lost. Then again, why it happened, we didn't know. There, there has to be an investigation to realize what really happened. It, was it due to corrosion? It was due to the presence of uh, nitrogen and or other uh, chemical complexes. It was already reports last year that there was sulfidric uh, acid in the area, so it could also be like that. Also, it could possibly be the, the an explanation that Pemex has not made the maintenance program that it was supposed to do. So unless we have an investigation, everything else would be a speculation. Okay. Well, an, an investigation is ongoing, but that it, it is good news that the response seems like it was good and, and effective, especially given all the international attention that was on Mexico as a result. The other big story that came out actually on, on the same exact day was that the energy ministry decided to give the SAMA operatorship to to, Tal, uh, to Pemex. I'm sorry. I feel like we've been following this case for, for a long time now, and it almost seems like this final twist was was always inevitable. What's what's the next step in the, the Talos saga? Uh, most likely there is going to be like a revision argument before CENER, the Ministry of Energy, to see if they can change its ruling. That that seems very unlikely to, to happen. With that said, it would all depend on Talos legal strategy. They, mm-hmm. as an American firm, they are uh, covered within the boundaries of the USMCA, but also in terms, for example, in the consortium with in Talos, there is also Wintershell DEA. In this case, they are all a German company and they will be protected by the protections, in this case, of the free treaty that Mexico has with the European Union and also other investment mechanisms. 
The reality is that it all depends on Talos, what they want to do. They, can they afford to, to take the legal route and perhaps wait until the next administration? Is it going to be a part of a try to reclaim damages? Uh, do, are, do they only want to become the operators? Are they going to sell? Actually, I think that the uh, realm of possibilities just up and ups with this. Well, that being said, it's pretty much the whole strategy is lawyer up, lawyer up, and lawyer up. Yeah, well, lawyer up has sort of been the the general theme of the of the Mexican energy sector for the last the last few years. Let's jump from there into the into the Mexico elections. The opposition fared fairly well, at least in in Congress, in the lower house of Congress. How how do you think that that will impact sort of the remaining three years of the sexenio and, and in particular the energy sector? Actually, I think that when we see everything into context, you will see that, for example, the latest with Talos, the, uh, the semi-unitization, you will see that in general, this administration, the, the administration of President López Obrador, actually is very reluctant and uh, sometimes I would say even hostile to private investment, especially foreign private investment. Mm. In that regard, what we all seen is that they have tried, they already successfully passed reforms into secondary legislation, the hydrocarbons law and the electricity uh, industry law. Mm. But in reality is that this has been already stalled into court through injunctions, through other uh, suspensions, first temporary, then permanent suspensions. And it is expected that perhaps at the end of this year, 2021, perhaps early 2022, we will see the ruling of the Supreme Court. That being said, and this is quite important, it all becomes the game's within the court. One of the ministers, in this case of the justices of the Mexican Supreme Court, is set to retire in November. Therefore, President López Obrador can appoint a new justice. Mm. In that regard, they will change the whole dynamics. At this point, López Obrador has appointed three judges, now with the possibility of four, and that would change the dynamics. For example, for the electricity law, uh, severely disputed by pretty much everyone from Greenpeace to uh, Iberdrola to, to a number of other companies and NGOs. Mm. You need eight votes out of 11 to declare the law unconstitutional and did it not take effect. With now four votes of, of, uh, out of 11, President López Obrador likely will have his win in, the, in court. However, it is very likely that a number of companies that has uh, submitted an injunction, an amparo, mm. is very likely that they will obtain a simple majority of six votes. However, if we go down that road and perhaps there is a bigger game being played in the Supreme Court and the companies didn't obtain even a single amparo, then I would say, Chris, that everything is is open. Everything is up to grabs because Mexico would, would even, even have a, a resemblance of a rule of law. And if that is the case, pretty much you can say goodbye to any kind of investment, perhaps with the exception of speculative uh, short-term investment. But that being the case, Mexico's growth would actually stall for the long term. Well, let's let's hope it doesn't get to that case. Staying on, you know, the same same line, the American Petroleum in- Institute has complained repeatedly over the over the last few years that treatment of U.S. energy companies uh, by Mexico's government is is getting worse, and it's probably in violation of the U.S. Mexico Canada agreement. Do you see anything anything changing at all here with these formal complaints, with the results of of the election, or do you see it uh, of do you see AMLO's line sort of hardening? I think that the line has been at this point, is the, especially with the U.S., is that, okay, you have all the protections of the USMCA. It is your fight. I don't see the, the Biden administration actually trying to push forward with Mexico. 
at this point, it's very clear that Mexico, in terms of the, of the U.S. agenda, it's very much all tied up to migration. As long as Mexico plays well with migration and everything stays cool within the U.S., I would say domestic politics, everything will stay the same. Yes, there have been some kind of organisms, chambers, other institutes trying to put to to raise the alarms, but however, there has not been any kind of smoking gun. And then mm. again, the the Biden administration is so uh, I, I would not say distracted, but it's actually focused on the vaccination program. Try to to have a, a better understanding regarding China, and therefore Mexico falls directly out of the scope. So uh, at this point, I don't see that there is going to be any kind of a drastic movement and or influence into this whole uh, thing. That's interesting. Well, speaking of sort of big stories and smoking guns, there was quite a bombshell of a story in El País today about natural gas during the previous administration and natural gas contracts. And I don't, I don't want to necessarily go, go too much into that, but I would like to talk about natural gas. That's one area where U.S. imports are growing, domestic production is stagnating, and we're seeing injections into the cistern gas. They're even dropping in some points. Part of this is because Pemex is using gas in its own operations. You know, another reason behind sort of domestic levels of production dropping is is flaring, which is sky rocketing why why is pemex flaring so much gas well first of all there is only i would say two explanations one is by design the other is more of a consequence of bad planning the first of all is uh, especially with the uh, onshore fields is that pemex is actually focused on trying to develop infrastructure in terms of platforms pipelines not necessarily more recovering units and or to have a different design as you said correctly Pemex's strategy right now is to use the natural gas produced in the fields to actually reinject and to maintain the pressure within the fields. In this case, it's pretty much the exaggeration of the whole oil is king syndrome that Pemex has suffered and or enjoyed for uh, pretty much uh, the last three decades. Mm. In in that regard, yes, as you are correctly saying, it is not viable for Pemex to include this. However, in some, for example, if we go down into the marine regions in the offshore fields, what you see is pretty much the same. They are not investing into more, in this case, nitrogen recovering units, something that has been on the books in Pemex pretty much for like 20 years, Mm. but they don't have the money to do so. And this is actually quite interesting, Chris, because at the same time, they actually have proven, quote unquote, proven to say that they have the resources to develop SAMA. So it is quite a contradiction to say that they have the money to develop a new field. However, they don't have the money to invest in essential infrastructure. And then again, obviously, the the big elephant in the room is what Pemex wants to do with this. In terms of of flaring, there is pretty much, and I I said this with all the responsibility that comes with it, but environmental law in Mexico is actually quite weak. Mm. They are not facing any kind of retaliation and or any kind of international support from this. Mexico, especially with the administration of López Obrador, in this nationalistic tone, any kind of pressure and or influence and or suggestions even are actually said like this is an attack from the overseas and there is like this big conspiracy that wants to see Mexico very much subjugated to other foreign powers. The reality is that the, the nationalistic tone has actually played into Pemex death tone, I would say. Mm. And, at the, and at the same time, sort of the en- energy transition, which is happening so rapidly in the United States and across the world, seems to be barely the topic of conversation in Mexico. 
actually, I would say that there is no even part of the conversation anymore. For example, you see that the whole assault that Mexico and the administration has taken into renewables has played directly into that. For example, for them, they changed the rules for the new certificates of clean energy. They also changed the dispatch rules. This is pretty much the heart at the core of, of the new electricity bill approved by Congress. And what you see is that they tend to see renewables as a private business, not, not some kind of opportunity for CFE to become more efficient, to have a lower generation cost and or to have a cleaner energy mix. The reality is that the RC, like Mexico has fuel oil, we have to burn fuel oil. Mm. Emissions, pollution be damned. And, and the reality is that these, I would say, some sort of nostalgia for a glorious past, I would say dubious glorious past, actually plays into the nationalistic tone that they want to see, as I have already said a number of times, the whole narrative of Pemex, make Pemex great again. Yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting. Okay, just a, a few more questions here. Let's 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 stick with natural gas. The the consulta pública is still going on, uh, which is Senegas essentially reaching out to the market to get a sense of natural gas demand. And the focus this year, based partly on what happened in you know in Texas in February and the emergency in terms of natural gas supplies, is on natural gas storage. Do you do you see natural gas storage being developed in Mexico, and is it imp- an important part of the energy sector strategy of the current government? <coughs> has to be but unfortunately it is not even part of the of the equation it is not even part of the discussion the whole idea that and, and this is something that we have already talked in the past Chris but this is actually worth remembering it one of the things that president lopez obrador tried to implement in this in his uh, i would say energy triad is that now we have three clear heads in this case, with no superiority within them. For example, now you have Secretary Rocio Nale, which in reality is, a, is becoming the Secretary of Refining. You have Octavio Romero, the CEO of Pemex, which is the director or, or the Secretary of Hydrocarbons. Mm. And also you have Manuel Barlet, the CEO of CFE, in which this case he is becoming the Secretary of Electricity. In this case, these three heads actually has direct links and direct uh, line with the president. Therefore, there is a number of, no, I would say, not coordination, actually. Uh, you would see some kind of a discomfort even among, uh, among them. In that regard, for example, things like renewables, natural gas, actually falls through the cracks, and there is no one actually taking care of that of that strategy. Even with the uh, Texas uh, freeze of uh, last February, there is no even a discussion on how to increase production of natural gas in Mexico. Storage, uh, something that we already saw with the fuel st- uh, shortage in 2019, but also in the in the freeze of 2020. There is no plan whatsoever to to discuss and or to fund these kind of initiatives. And in the in the same regard, the whole capture of the energy regulator, the CRE, actually is not providing any kind of relief in terms of facilitating, the, in this case, the permitting of new endeavors, especially something that can compete with Pemex and or CFE. Yeah. Okay, so so let's let's look ahead to the next three years, Gonzalo. Let's say, let's say, for example, that you were asked to to give advice to a potential candidate running for for the next presidency of of Mexico. What would you? I mean, it's very easy to, to criticize, but what would you say needs to be done? What what are the things that people can rally behind in the energy sector? What changes need to be made to improve the running of the energy sector in Mexico? 
That is a great question, Chris. And uh, I would say that there is a couple of things depending on the ambition and therefore the scope of the reform that I, that could be needed. For example, reforms to be made to CFE and Pemex, but in my opinion, that would be pretty much like band aids. It would be something to stop the hemorrhage, but it will not cure any kind of disease that the uh, energy sector has right now. Something that I have talked is extensively in the We Tweet Energy Initiative is about what we call Reform 2.0. In that regard, uh, for example, the, the landmark 2013 energy reform was pretty much to create a market, to create more competition. It was opening up. It was trying to break up the monopolies in hydrocarbons and also in electricity. However, a Reform 2.0, a step further, would become the real federalization of the energy resources. In that regard, for example, a state like Tamaulipas, Nuevo León, Baja California, any kind of state in Mexico can actually have and conduct their own electricity auctions, their own oil rounds. They can provide their own electricity bills and services, and they can create energy markets from themselves. And therefore, this is something quite important, Chris, because, for example, if there is, uh, let's say, a kind of a California environmentally friendly state that doesn't want to develop their resources, well, a nearby state can actually serve them pretty much something like the, like Texas does with other, uh, well, in this case with itself, because it, uh, it doesn't interconnect with nobody, as we saw in February. But in reality is that we could pre- create more opportunities within themselves. And just take a look, for example, at, at Veracruz and Tamaulipas. They are sitting in, I would say, prosperous and quite prolific Tampico Misantla basin. Mm-hmm. They can conduct their own uh, their own oil rounds, so they can develop all the shale resources that they could have. Obviously, there will still be needed federal program, or in this case, a federal oversight in terms of interstate uh, transmission lines and or other uh, regulations. But in this regard, every state will have their option to develop the resources at their own pace and at their own will. I think that this will create more opportunities in terms of, for example, states like Querétaro that doesn't have much of resources with themselves, but they can create the support lines, in this case, the infrastructure, the service environment to provide all the services needed. So I think that that would be something quite more important. And in that regard, this is something quite important. What would become the role of Pemex and CFE? Yes, they would become more of competitors of local competitors, and and that would create more competition within themselves. Obviously, and this is something quite important, we have to take a look at what has happened good and wrong in other jurisdictions. Just take a look at what happened at, uh, at California when they liberalized their energy market. It was a, it was a whole mess. We have to take a look at the lessons learned and move forward with that. Okay. Well, Gonzalo, I think you would make an excellent candidate and you'd have my backing. Thank you as always. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you as always for your comments. I always appreciate it. And I'll speak soon. All right. Chris, it has been a pleasure.